Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. I want to be a nun when I grow up. I think it's really cool what they get to wear. You have to be a virgin. You're such a runt. Yeah, and you have to believe in God. Mum, do we believe in God? Um, I guess it's up to everyone to decide for themselves as they grow up, but it is nice to believe in things. She's here. Oh, my God. We thank the Lord for this happy family and the gifts they've been given and pray that they have strength and health. We thank the Lord for the pleasure that Puffy Brains has given the children and pray that all God's creatures, great and small, are given the same love and care the world over. Amen. Can we sing a song? I think that's a good idea. But you can't beat the boys of the bulldog breed We're the team of the mighty West Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh, whoa. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Absolutely do, mate. And welcome one and all to another Fred Watch lockdown special. Staying together while we're keeping ourselves apart, welcome back, Kendall Richardson. Hello. And Fulia Kandamachi. Hi. So, Wayne, what are we reviewing today? Today we're reviewing Sarah Watts' existential domestic comedy drama, My Year Without Sex. Please explain. When mother of two Natalie, Sasha Horler, survives an aneurysm, she and her husband Ross, Matt Day, struggle to adapt to a life with a list of things they cannot do, including having sex, resulting in a year of self-reflection, doubt and confrontations. Sarah Watts' follow-up to her multi-award-winning feature directorial debut, 2005's Look Both Ways, is the second in what was a proposed trilogy about the impact that serious illness has on individuals and relationships. So, Kendall, did you get into bed with my year without sex? (laughs) Did I get into bed with this one? Well, I was in bed when I watched it, if that helps you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was so looking forward to this movie, especially having been previously a part of our Fred Watch review of Look Both Ways which is a fantastic film that if people listening have not seen, need to seek out and watch it and then go listen to our podcast. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's an incredible film. And Sarah Watt is just, I said it then and I'll say it again, She's she was just so talented and she had a natural gift for capturing humanity in its rawest and most pure natural state, I feel. So this this film feels like a like a sort of a, nice kind of sequel slash sibling, I suppose, to look both ways, just in the way it's it's shot and it's staged and it's set up and just the how natural the whole thing feels. Like, to me, it doesn't feel like a scripted piece of cinema to me. It just felt like she had her cameras focused on this family capturing this turbulent year and everything that was just happening and coming off was just, it just felt very natural and very, very real. Like the realism of it all was just astounding and I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and the entire cast gives just such wonderful performances. Even, Even the child actors were so good and so convincing and so endearing. But Sasha Haller as Natalie was just the star player of this entire piece. She just really captured just this the I don't know the entirety of her weird life experience during this year and how you know I mean we didn't get much of a glimpse of what her life and what their family's life was like before she had her aneurysm but you definitely got a sense that she was struggling to figure out who she was post this yellow card as she you know was referred to in the film which I I love that metaphor Uh, I thought it was great but yeah, she just really just seemed to capture this uncertainty of where's her life going now? What what is her purpose in life? Like, you know, you said it right, existential is definitely what this film is. And that's really something that Sarah Watt seems to like to touch on. And it's all the more tragic and ironic considering her life was cut so tragically short. 
as well because her films seem to just really deal with these issues of what's it all about and how to get through it knowing it's all going to be over one day like it's just it really strikes a chord with you on a deep level at least for me anyway but yeah Sasha's performance was just beautiful I really loved her and her um you know the chemistry she had with Matt Day uh, who played her husband Ross was just lovely like I love the little intimate scenes that were few and far between, sadly, because of this, the difficulties. But, you know, there's an early scene that's just right after she's come out of the hospital and it's just framed so nicely, the two of them lying together in bed. It's just a single shot and they're, mm. you know, both the, both their heads are, are framing the shot and gazing into each other's eyes lovingly, you know, and, and just I love the way that Ross is looking at her. Like, I hope I have someone one day that looks at me like that because damn... <laughs> I was I was floored. Yeah, he yeah, he was he was fantastic as well, Matt Day. I really enjoyed him. And yeah, the kids were just so endearing. <laughs> Ruby, Portia Bradley's Ruby was just the cutest little angel ever. And I I really I don't know, I kind of connected with her on some kind of reliving my past moments, just like those 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 little times of her asking her parents like can I have this kind of party for my birthday like I remember having those conversations with my mum and dad when I was her age about having friends over and then and then like wanting to act older than you are at the time like that was so real and so accurate like when she rocks up wearing this it's casual Friday for school and she wants to wear this off the shoulder kind of revealing (laughs) top I loved that scene because I I had a similar experience when I was 12 or 13. I wanted to go to a school social and wear a, a top that looked similar to that. And my mum refused. I didn't even, she wouldn't let me buy it for a start. Because I was like, <laughs> I want that top. Like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have a friend kind enough to give me a top, but I wanted to wear it. And, and my mum, sadly, I love her. She does not have the same tact that Natalie did (laughs) but I just love that moment where she the camera zooms in on her navel and then she's like you'll freeze in that (laughs) like that was it was just so real I just I just loved it and then of course Jonathan Seagat as Lewis was also fantastic his passion for the doggies oh my god I I know I know a few people who who are as passionate as he is about that team that's for sure and this that scene with him in the hospital and he's like completely engrossed in the game all he can hear is his world falling apart and it's not his mum on her potential deathbed it's whether or not the doggies are going to make the finals like it's I I loved it and then the dad and then and then Ross looks over and it's just like she's gonna be all right and he's like what yeah there's always next year I'm like, oh my God. there's always ne- there's always next season yeah I, I adored it so this this entire family dynamic told through this one year was just so great and I also love the the way it was all sp- split into sort of chapters of month by month and every month had a different motif, a different theme with it, a different title with it that kind of was, I suppose, innuendo-esque in terms of, you know, mentioning sex and sex-related things but not necessarily being about that stuff. Yeah, I just loved the way that that kind of strung the narrative together. That was really, really great. Yeah, I, I really adored watching this film I just get just have to say yeah the realism for me just really captured me and I wanted to know like I was disappointed that the film was only an hour and a half because I wanted more of this family especially you know with the ending being as lovely as it was but yeah I think that's my initial thoughts and reviews Fulia how did you feel about this one at the beginning of the film I had a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling because of the whole situation that they were in it did get quite dark quite quickly (laughs) uh with uh, natalie having an aneurysm and needing to have surgery and is in a coma for for a while so for me at that particular time that first little bit i was had this sort of uneasy feeling but then as the movie progressed i started to enjoy it a bit more and also i could relate to some of the things that were happening in the movie especially when it came down to well I can't really relate with the whole the Christmas thing or with the with the birthday parties when I was a child for me it was 
I had birthday parties, but they were always family-related birthday parties. And then when I got to a point where I wanted to have friends over from school, that didn't happen until I was 12. <laughs> so uh, for me, by, by that time, that was when I was starting to get into high school as well. So my sort of wants and were a little bit different to what, to what the kids were in this particular film. I do like the fact that the little one, uh, Ruby, was always playing around with her teeth <laughs> just, and uh, sort of wiggling out her teeth forcibly. I kind of relate to that because I did that as a child myself. <laughs> uh, so it's the moment I felt a tooth that was wobbly, I immediately would start playing around with it, making it more, like, more and more loose. Uh, which wasn't really something I should have been doing. (laughs) But in that instance, the whole tooth fairy thing only happened for like a couple of years. And then after that, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the passion that uh, Lewis had for his favorite team, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which was a lot of fun to, to watch. That scene in the hospital where he was sad about the doggies losing, I looked at that. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then the and then when uh, when Ross turned around, it's like, oh, it's okay. She's going to be fine. I'm like, that's not why he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> the I do I do feel for the family when Natalie ended up in hospital and you know having surgery, being in a coma, and then coming out of it at during the time that that she was trying to trying to get back into the swing of things like slowly during her recovery. I could see how much she was struggling with a lot of things, especially because she was so paranoid about having another aneurysm. If, if she, if he, if she did do certain things, which I can understand why she would feel that way. Like she doesn't, she wants to be there for her, for her kids because they're so young at them at that particular stage the scene where she couldn't sleep and she got up and started writing birthday cards for future birthdays oh, for her children that kind of yeah. broke me mm-hmm. um, Me too. sitting there watching her when she was just writing and reading from a distance where the camera was at a distance i thought to myself oh please tell me she's not writing down future birthday cards because she thinks she's going to die soon and then cut to her actually reading one of the birthday cards and I'm like oh okay she is this is very kind of morbid and depressing (laughs) and then you could also see in her expression how upset she was that she was even thinking that and the fact that she's like I don't know why like her face could see you could see in her face that she's not even liking the fact that she's doing this, but for her, it's like a, I need to do this in case this happens, which was really upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad that it ended up the way that it did, but I could see the frustrations in the family that were happening. I, I also feel for Ross who has been doing his best to look after his wife and his kids, even though Natalie didn't, well, she knew that he was helping, but she either wasn't wanting to acknowledge the fact or she just didn't see it herself. And you can see that Ross was trying really hard to be the husband and the father that he needed to be during that time, which really made me sort of really feel for him. And... Yeah, just the performances overall by everyone was just amazing. Like, I I enjoyed it. And it, as, as depressing as this movie was, <laughs> I did kind of enjoy it towards the end. So, yeah. How about yourself, Philip? I really love Sarah Watt. Obviously, we've uh, reviewed um, Look Both Ways before. And this this movie has all of the Sarawat hallmarks. Mm. 
It very, the editing is the same. She does her little close-ups on important bits. That jarring sort of close-up, as opposed to a nice sort of, uh, you know, going from one thing to the next to the next. It's a from a wide shot to a to a, a extreme close-up cut to sort of thing. I absolutely adore that. I think it, it, it very much brings the audience's attention to exactly what she wants us to think about. The symbology of everything, even when it just looks like she's just showing off a bit of scenery, that scenery is telling us what's going on in that moment, where we are. And the most important thing, I think, is that she's able to show us everyday Australia, especially for whatever era she's trying to grab hold of. You know, this is in sort of 2009 release, so it's sort of 2008, maybe 2007, but mobile phones are a big prominent bit, whereas you look at Look Both Ways in 2003, it's, you know, very few mobile phones floating about, if any. Whereas this one, all the children have it and you can see the parents are sitting there going, oh, uh, okay, um, there's that little hesitantness when the kids get out their phones or when, when the weird sound, uh, um, uh, ringtone goes off, you know, there's that little bit of embarrassment. Whereas now, you know, you, your ringtone goes off, no one even thinks twice of it. It feels like she used the exact same cameras as she did for Look Both Ways and it gives that filter of the I won't say the working class per se but it does give that 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 sort of down to earth feel it's not some beautifully polished camera shots it's that down to earth that gritty that working person's life and realism that I absolutely adore with Sarah Watt the movie itself I struggled with a little bit, but I think that's just my current scenario. So I watched it with my partner, Kirsten, and she and I had to pause it regularly at one point, ending up bursting in tears. And, mm. and it's because of how real it is. We've been going through a bit of an existential crisis of our own um, recently. And so we connected very strongly with Natalie's story. Her, 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 oh, what's the word? Musings. Yes, musings. Yes, that's even better. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so it, it very much, Sarah Watt is able to, to, to bring us these stories in a way that I really don't think a lot of other directors can a lot of directors can bring you a story or a a a big sort of epic tale but it takes a very special director and i think often underrated director and writer to bring you a nuanced story a story that is for a very particular people a very particular group and because you, you don't you don't see this sort of thing often you don't see this i mean even take out the australianness of it you don't see a lot of movies where there isn't some inciting yes there's an inciting incident here sorry you don't see ones where there's not some overarching fate thing going on yes there's an incident here but even her aneurysm it makes her look at life differently but it doesn't really change her life it's not like she got a bazillion dollars suing the company and now she's got to go from oh rags to riches it's simply this is life things happen Yes, she gets money by the end of it, but even that hasn't changed her. It's so near the end that we don't actually see what really happens with that. And I really love how Sarah Watt can give us a raw, this is life. I mean, 
she has the aneurysm and then just gets has to get on with life to the point that there are people that yeah oh you had an aneurysm okay they don't openly say it but it's that in, in, they insinuate yeah you had an aneurysm but that was before what's happening now it's that life moves on sort of stuff and again you saw that in look both ways you saw that nick gets uh, a, a cancer diagnosis and he has to just get on with life as it were over this crazy weekend Th- that Meryl uh, witnesses someone dying and has to just get on with life has to get on with her paintings you see the same thing here that uh, um, Natalie has an aneurysm and just she's still got kids at home she's still got a husband that loves her doesn't love her we're kind of in the middle and the beauty is instead of it being oh well fate's gonna step in and we're gonna go off on this adventure what we see is life we just see what is so i absolutely enjoyed it wayne what were your thoughts yeah, it's no secret that I think Sarah Watt was one of the greatest filmmakers uh, of her time. And I think we'll go down as one of the greatest storytellers of Australian uh, film. And it's easy to see why. She does have reoccurring themes here with her previous work, most notably, as uh, so many of you have mentioned, Look Both Ways. One of the critiques, I suppose, or... or wanting that I had with Look Both Ways was that there was more humour to just balance out the darkness of that particular story. And I actually think that Sarah Watt gets the balance better in this particular film. So I really did enjoy My Year Without Sex. It offers so much in terms of a reflection of society as well as a personal meditation. So... When we think about the title, it, it's almost like a title that says, look, no sex here, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, sex sells, right? Um, but this mm-hmm. is a film that's telling you there's no sex here. However, the idea of sex being so prominent in our culture and in our society is littered throughout the film, through billboards, through posters, imagery i mean even that moment where ruby comes in with that top where you know it's off the shoulder and her navel is is exposed natalie covers her own fears by saying oh you know you'll get you'll catch cold or, or or whatever the reason is but there is that whole idea that the clothing is too adult for her because kids are growing up so quickly and i know that these are fears that all parents have particularly for their daughters being very protective because there is an emphasis of kids growing up so quickly and almost being forced to grow up quickly because of how fast our society moves. Even as early as 2009, kids are behaving and speaking a lot older, I suppose, than uh, what their what their age and uh, their developmental age dictates. But one of the things that Sarah Watt does that is so phenomenal is that she captures the everyday person so well and so naturally i think absolutely spot on kendall how you said that it almost doesn't feel like it's a scripted movie because everything Mm. is just so natural it almost feels like we're very much a fly in the wall and the way that this film is segmented you know into the calendar months is very clever So we're dipping in and out of this family. Overall, we do have an ending that is, I guess, happy. It's the ending that we want. (laughs) Sort of the the ending that we really deserve, I think, because of what we endure with Natalie and Ross, because they are so likable. They are far from perfect characters. They're heavily flawed. And this is why they are so likable and so relatable. But... Whilst we've got moments where, I guess, fortune does shine on this family. For example, that Natalie herself beats the odds and survives her aneurysm is absolutely incredible. 
the fact that she does win $25,000 at the Perkies. That's incredible. But it comes at a time when it's owned because we've seen what she's going through. And even then we acknowledge and she acknowledges that that money is so little, really. It's not really life-changing when you've got you know, this sort of yellow card, I suppose, hanging over your head and two young kids as well that you need to look after. But a moment that I particularly liked was when Natalie and the kids come home from that raffle and they've got the tree with all the scratchies and lotto tickets on there. And as Lewis is is going up the porch, he, you know, brushes past another tree and one of the scratchies falls to the floor. So normally in films, it's like, ooh, you'll need to remember this because that's going to be significant and important to the characters, to the narrative and how things will change over time. We eventually get Ross on the porch, I guess, consoling a dog that is not wanted (laughs) initially, which is incredibly sad. And he finds this scratchy. So we're like, ooh, cool. And of course he scratches it and it's worthless. Little moments like that are just so pure. It's like the most unmovie movie moment, if you will, because it almost feels like, well, what was the point of putting in an emphasis of it being there? But I think it just reiterates the realism of this family as well. Because everything, I suppose, in this story is like a 50-50 chance, isn't it? Natalie was lucky. It was a gamble that she survived that aneurysm. Just scratching those tickets was like a gamble. Natalie herself forces that button down to gamble on the pokies and it actually paid off for her. It's one of those recurring themes that Sarah Watt puts throughout My Year Without Sex. I love how she also deals with faith and religion because it's such a big topic. We've got the religion Mm. of AFL sport, which is huge in Melbourne where this film is set. And then we've got more traditional forms of religion. And everyone feels differently about these different faiths. For example, Lewis is so invested in his footy team, as most young people are, really. It is, you know, held at such a a high esteem because these men who play football are like gods and they are worshipped and looked upon and held to such a high esteem. And then we've got the more traditional faith in this In this scenario, it's a Christian faith, which Ross just dismisses. But Natalie is curious because she is now self-reflective. She's had near-death experiences. She's trying to find out what's the purpose and where am I going after this? It's these sorts of heavy questions. And then, if you will, there's also the faith of the kids that they have in Santa, the bunny rabbit, and the tooth fairy. It's this sort of belief in what isn't there. And these three elements all intertwine so beautifully because it makes us as an audience also reflect and also question. So Sarah Watt is so clever at telling a story that we're not just watching a story, but we are experiencing the emotions, the existential crises that these characters are experiencing themselves. There's so many lovely moments in this film. It is not always an easy film to watch because, as you've said, Fulia, it begins with something quite so abrupt. It's quite a shock to the system to yeah. see Natalie, you know, going just for her you know, annual pap smear. It's just a normal routine. And then she suffers the aneurysm. But if we want to talk as well about, you know, testing fate and gambling and luck... If you're going to have an aneurysm, she had it in the best place possible. Yeah, exactly. So there's still an underlying, I guess, good faith or fortune for this family, even though it doesn't feel like it for them. They have that discussion about what class are they? They're not middle class, but they're not, you know, working class. They're somewhere in the middle range. And what does that mean? We, we see Natalie really concerned herself about buying presents for the kids for Christmas. And consumerism is such a big theme in this film as well. And again, all ties in with the imagery of sex that we see throughout the movie on billboards and so forth, because sex sells. 
It's an incredibly cleverly written piece. And I think it is a testament to the way that Sarah Watt not only directs a movie, but writes it and pulls all of these visuals and elements together. Incredibly well made and incredibly clever. The performances across the board are really strong and they always feel authentic. These are real people. They have real conversations. Everything about this feels so genuine and that makes it very accessible, but it can also make it quite scary at the same time. So personally, I think that My Year Without Sex is, you know, a really strong entry. It's a really strong tale, but I'm really curious, Kendall, did you have any particular highlights from this film? Were there any maybe lines or moments or performances here that really stuck out to you? Yes, I got a a few because I could never have a short list of anything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One of the highlights for me that stood out was um, I really enjoyed the the funeral for the fish. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was quite adorable and just kind of spoke on numerous levels, I think. But I I just really enjoyed the moment where... (laughs) When they're like, oh, can we... can we sing a song? And mm. then, <laughs> then the Western Bulldogs theme, they're all singing that. And it's just, I like, some of them aren't singing it. Some of them are singing it. And it's just, uh, I just really, I don't know, I just really enjoyed that. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> so it was what you were saying, Wayne, about the, the fact that Look Both Ways didn't seem to have the humour to offset the darkness, whereas mm. in this movie it's done beautifully. But... All of the humorous moments, I was cackling. Yeah. Like, there was, yeah, there was quite a, like, this, that was hilarious. <laughs> Another part I really liked, and Phil, you'll appreciate this. There's that one part when, during one of Lewis's football matches in between, they're, you know, trying to pep the boys up so they can win the game. And then I think it's Ross that gives the, the I can't remember if it's Ross or if it's Greg, the actual coach, that gives the speech and says uh, something to the effect of, you know, our, Boys at Gallipoli had to go out and do yeah. this, and they did that, and blah blah blah. And then, yeah. and then, and then, and then Lewis, and then Lewis is like, "But didn't we lose at Gallipoli?" And oh, I, yeah. I was, well done, I that was, man. Oh my god, I was done. I was like, that. That's. I couldn't actually couldn't stop laughing for like two minutes. I just it was so. Good. <laughs> just the, the way he said it, like the just yeah, the delivery like was just so hilarious without even meaning to be. It's just it was just so earnest and like, well, we we lost it at Gallipoli though. What do you mean? Like, I yeah, I I absolutely adored it. I another thing I really adore, probably one of my f- favorite characters in the film, maybe my favorite character was probably Margaret the priest. I thought she was excellent and a very complex very complex character and I really enjoyed more Davies portrayal of her as well just the way that she came into um, Natalie's life post the aneurysm and just you know it's you they're kind of setting her up at the beginning there with like you think she's she's gonna be this you know, holier than thou, God is great kind of person and going to force faith on Natalie. But that's not what happens at all. And a common recurring thing that happens during this film is that expectations are constantly subverted. Mm. Um, you think you think something is going to go one way and then it goes another. Just especially when the scene, when they're, they're, they're celebrating in the office at Ross's work and then him and Rosie almost start kissing, like so close so close and you could because you know throughout the entire film it's set up that he's going to have an affair and because they clearly have a connection and she clearly loves him like so much and it's really adorable but um in that moment you're like oh god it's going to happen especially because Ross and Natalie have been drifting apart during their year without sex and I love the fact that we don't get it we don't get this affair I thought that was such a great choice and a more realistic choice because I don't think if Ross had gone ahead with that, I don't think he would have been redeemed by the time the film was done. Like mm. I, I, and I, and I don't think that was the point of 
the story because yeah that's not the story that Sarah Watt clearly wanted to tell and I'm glad I'm glad she didn't do it but yeah back to Margaret I just I really love the fact that she just was there as sort of a friend and a guiding personality to kind of help Natalie just have you know someone outside of Ross someone outside of her kids to to really lean on and depend on almost you know and it wasn't always intentional like but I I really just I really love the way Natalie just shows up at her place and she's like I'm going on a date and it's going to be this and that oh you should come it would be awesome like there's just such a nice vulnerability to her character like she's she's not a normal priest at least not how priests are generally portrayed on film and television and I loved that as well and that kind of helped to add to the realism of it all as well just painting Margaret as a like a real honest down-to-earth kind of person and then just the fact that they ended up having a wild night at the pokies winning the money (laughs) getting completely hammered I I really I really liked that and especially how that tied into the, the whole tooth fairy thing at the end where Natalie comes home drunk and just dumps all the gold coins into the into the glass. I thought that was that was really sweet and beautiful. And also I really enjoyed the moment where Ross realized who Margaret really was and she had this whole other life as this rock star. I thought that was that was really wonderful and just added a nice extra layer to her character and why she's doing what she's doing and yeah, it was just really great. I yeah, I, those were probably all my favorite I think moments and 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 things about this film Fulia what about you I have to agree with you the moments with uh, Margaret were actually my favorite as well not just the part towards the end where they're you know having a good time at the pokies but also just generally throughout the film where she you, you first get introduced to Margaret as the choir teacher the singing teacher and then it progresses down to where um, Natalie then f- uh, sees her at the church as the priest. <laughs> and then the conversations that they both have about religion and, you know, the questions that Natalie has about God and all that sort of stuff. And the way that Margaret just talks about the fact that and how faithful she really is to the religion it's sort of nice to see that she had she that she's not a str- like strict religious person um that yeah. she does have a fun side to her as well and yeah margaret is probably probably one of the favorite characters in this film for me because of the fact that she's not just one particular personality she's she's like she's got a cup she's got a few that go throughout and the fact that she's also there to be Natalie's, you know, friend, her rock, someone that Natalie can confide in when she can't do that with her own husband, which is kind of also a bit sad because if you have an issue, you, you want to be able to rely on your partner um, when things like this happen so that you can sort out those problems. But for her, she needed, I suppose, a woman's perspective in life. Um, and that's probably why she found that relationship with Margaret. And I can understand that because you don't always feel like talking to your partner if it's something that you think is going to end up causing uh, a huge disagreement at the end of it. So having a, a friend to, to lean on is, is a really good thing to have. And I really appreciate that myself in life, that I've got so many great friends out there that I can rely on them if things go wrong at home so that I've got someone that I can vent to or someone that I can, you know, have a little discussion with and and I'd be doing the same thing for them as well. And so I really appreciate that friendship that they have. And then towards the end was just nice to see them just let loose and have fun and that that little moment with the <laughs> with that with the glass where she comes in she pops in a couple of couple of dollar coins then she makes this noise thinking oh crap i'm going to wake up the kid hold on let me put let me put a few more coins in <laughs> and then she's like no no i feel bad let me just chuck in a whole bunch and it, it just <laughs> the whole cup is just overflowing with <laughs> uh, with gold coins <laughs> which was really really sweet yeah so for i think that particular moment 
the, the, those moments throughout the film has been my favourite. How about yourself, Philip? I really enjoyed how... Again, it goes back to my comments of the realism, but how they had the dynamic of the parents, that they weren't exactly perfect. They weren't this, you know, oh, yes, we're definitely a unit, unit, or, oh, hell's broken loose, I'm going to go cheat on my wife. They were just this couple who were struggling through a bad time in a way that felt realistic to me. It felt, yeah, that the, the bloke wasn't exactly the, 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 the best person to be around, but he wasn't an absolute villain. The different people who came in, like the rich people, there was a hint that things didn't quite go as well as he was hoping in things, but it wasn't like, oh, I've lost everything. He just had a, bit, a little bit of a hint that things hadn't quite gone right. But it didn't matter because he's rich. I just love the absolute realism of this entire show. And I'm going to boil it down to things like how Ross and his co-worker almost kissed but didn't. Bits like them talking about what they're going to do with their winnings. Because again, Natalie says straight up, it's not going to make a dent in our mortgage. And so they're sort of um and ah about, oh, should we donate it like uh, uh, like the priest does? or But then like, nah, we're not going to do that. Because again, the realism is, you're going to use that money to do something. It's not going to change your life, but it's definitely going to make things a little bit easier for a little while. So yeah, I just I, I just can't get over for me the absolute just normality realism, how it's just putting a mirror up to the world and saying, Hey, this is a thing a lot of you haven't gone through. Empathize with this. Wayne, yourself, what's your favourite moment? I particularly love the visual style of this as well, Philip, as you've mentioned so eloquently. I love the way that this movie is shot. I love the the framing, the blocking, the camera angles. I love the colour palette. It's not necessarily this sort of brightened, bubbly tone, but it's just this really believable, I guess, grey Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even inside their home, for example, Lewis's bedroom walls are, are that bright blue to complement the doggies, you know, navy blue. You know, the main part of the house is a green. And then we juxtapose that with dreary Melbourne. Uh, but, you know, you do get some sunny days as well, I suppose. Uh, but overall, just the, I think the visuals in this film just add so much depth and layers to the story that Sarah Watt is telling. Like I've mentioned before, the, the imagery of anything sexualized or sexy is there, really enforcing how sex is like a, an element of consumerism as well. And then this couple is particularly going without. There's a lot of near misses with sex as well, as we've seen throughout the film, uh, between Ross and Natalie, uh, how we almost have Ross and his co-worker. We think, ooh, something might happen there. We've also got Lewis talking to that gentleman outside the cinema. We think something sinister might happen there as well. Um, mm. There's, like how you, you said, you know, Kendall, it, it sort of sets up things, but then doesn't really pay them off. And, we're all the better for it in the end. The story is sort of yeah. all the better for it. Uh, like I had mentioned with the scratchy ticket, you think, oh, that's going to come into play in a really positive way. It doesn't. But like how we've been saying, it's just a lot more believable and realistic this way as well. In terms of the visuals, I agree with you, Kendall, that moment when they're in bed together and having that conversation is just absolutely stunning and beautiful. That yeah. We get sort of that bird's eye view and then the other point of views as well. And just the intimacy of that scene and their honesty with the conversation they're having about, well, you know, would you have another wife? And what would your other wife look like? And, and so forth. But it's done in a very playful but yet genuine way. It's a testament to the writing, but again, the way that it's filmed and, and shot and framed really emphasises this just really raw and honest moment it is, yeah, such a visually spectacular film. And it doesn't have anything flashy. Like, that's so rare 
to say something is visually spectacular without having any razzle or dazzle with it at mm. all. In terms of overall scene, I can't go past the Fisher's funeral as well. Like, that is just... Yeah. <laughs> it is just so wonderful, uh, especially because, you know, again, death is such a major theme in this film. We've got the funeral of the fish, and yet Margaret has such wonderful words. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Ross is kind of comes at the end of it and is like, kind of, what on earth is going on? Yeah. There's the doggies theme song that is played at the end and Lewis is probably really the only enthusiastic one about it and mm-hmm. that in itself is such a wonderful gag but then comes yeah. the second punch <laughs> when the fish is dug up and eaten by the dog <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and that I, I that's just when I lost it and that delivered the biggest <laughs> laugh there because like there's just something so cruel about it <laughs> But I just thought that like nobody notices, or nobody cares to acknowledge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which which I thought was wonderful, and even like the little girls of that family almost seemed to like the idea of the funeral because it gave them this opportunity to dress up <laughs> for something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's quite a few events played out in this in this film. Again, we've got them organising for Easter and for Christmas and birthdays as well. But I have to say, for me, the standout performer in a cast of really strong actors, uh, you know, our central four, you know, the family especially, but I have to say Matt Day is absolutely captivating for me. I'm Mm. such a big fan of Matt Day. I think that he is by far one of the most underrated actors in Australia. He's been around for quite a while, but I think the everyday average casual film and TV viewer would not be able to recognise him or even know who he was. And that's a shame because he is absolutely amazing in the range of characters that he's played over his long career. I love his portrayal of Ross here. And my favourite moment with Matt Day as Ross is when he is criticised for not really taking initiative of doing things. Like Natalie says, you'll do shopping, but only if I give you a shopping list. And so then he takes it upon himself, based on that feedback, to organise Ruby's birthday party. And that he emcees the fashion show, that he's organised all the food, that he's put everything together. And it's not necessarily to shut Natalie down, I don't think that at all, but I think to really step up and do this for his daughter. And she stands by the door of the house watching all these kids play in the backyard. And she's just really happy that it's come together. He's facilitating it and he's done that for not only Natalie to give her a bit of a breather, but for their daughter as well. It's a really sweet and tender moment. And Matt Day is, again, just a very everyday man. He's, he, he doesn't have this hunky glamorous look i mean he's a he's a gorgeous man but he really does feel like the person next door he is such a relatable and likable person and i love watching him on screen most significantly about the character of ross and matt day's portrayal of him i love the range of emotions the depictions of masculinity throughout this character he is so well written and just impeccably performed so for me in terms of the performances really strong across the board but matt day hands down and if you're unfamiliar with his work please source out his work in films he's an actor that never disappoints so we've talked about our highlights for my year without sex it's time for our final thoughts and a score out of five kendall kick us off Okay, yeah, so summarising this film, hmm, I, I'm probably just going to repeat a lot of what I've already said. I mean, it's just, it's a great piece of Australian cinema. It captures Australian life very accurately, very realistically, genuinely authentic. Like, it's, you're there, you're in, you believe every single thing that's happening, every conversation, every interaction, everything. It's just remarkable. And I will just be forever indebted to Sarah Watt for her giving us this film as well, just for how wonderfully of a job she's done with it. It's just outstanding from top to bottom. Yeah, the performances, as I've said, are just just so great, so genuine. Fly on the Wall is the exact 
word and phrase I was looking for earlier. That's exactly what it feels like. Like we're just, we're, we're here to witness this snapshot of a year in this family's life and how, you know, their ups and downs and their, their, their fortunes and their misfortunes are, are portrayed for us on screen. It's just, it just flows so well. It's also natural and just the way all of the themes of death and faith and sex and excess kind of all kind of come together to complement one another and complement the the characters is just it's all just done so it look like Sarah Watt makes it look so easy but I'm sure it it, it was it was a task to to bring this to life but it just looks it's just seamless to me the whole thing is seamless yeah gosh I mean one of my favorite lines that I remembered while you guys were all talking about your favorite parts was just I think it was right at right at the end of the film when when Ross looks at Natalie and was and and says something to the effect of for my next wife I'd pick you all over again and I was I oh my god I was just yes if you get that's how you call back to a line that's how you call back to a conversation said earlier on and and bring it back in such a way to give it such meaning and uh, such a great way to finish the film. You know, the fact that the film starts with the two of them having sex in bed and then it ends with them finally, you know, having sex again. Just, and everything is kind of back to normal, I suppose. Yeah, I just really loved the delivery on that line from Matt Day. Like, yeah, Wayne, you're right. He's, he is absolutely phenomenal. And I I do need to see him in more stuff. Cause I think I, I've heard of him before, but I, this is probably the first thing I've seen him in. So I, I I need to dig deep into his filmography. I think he was, he's, yeah, he's quite wonderful. But yeah, so My Year Without Sex, I could not recommend it more to anyone listening. Please seek it out if you can. I'm going to give it four stars out of five. Fulia. I have to say I've never actually watched a film like this before, not in the way that it's how relatable it could be and how serious the conversation is about these type of relationships and uh, especially with family and all that sort of thing. I tend to usually gravitate towards the more happier type of films (laughs) and the action-filled ones, whereas this one was more mellow, very realistic and I suppose it was a nice way to sort of step back from all of the stuff that I have been watching to something like this where it's it sort of just brings you back to reality I suppose. I really enjoyed the performances of Sasha and Matt. They were really great together. They had a really good rapport together when they were on screen at the same time. The kids were also a great standout in this as well. Like, we've got to give a hand to the children, Portia Portia Bradley and Jonathan Seagate, for just being great kids in the film. I'm not sure what else I can really mention. I've probably mentioned all of the things that I needed to say earlier on. So for me, I will give this film a three and a half out of five. Philip? As I was saying before, I'm a huge Sarah Watt fan and so it makes it hard for me not to just sort of gush over this. But to try to look at it critically, yeah, its editing style is really good but end of the day it does have... It's hard because on one hand, yes, I love personally love the less polished look but it could be argued that that's a negative unto the film in itself the themes through it mean that it's not as engaging as other films and yet i found myself entranced by the message and absolutely loving how again as i was saying before it shows everyday people a, a, a scenario that maybe not everyday people have gone through But that scenario, as shown, as lived by everyday people. So, it's hard because if this wasn't Sarah Watt, if someone else had done it and not done as good a job as someone like Sarah Watt would do, I would be giving it a rather low score because, again, it's one of these films that... 
on paper would not work. It's one of these films that on paper should not be as good as it is. But given the artists involved, the director, the actors, the cinema photographers, etc., it's come together as a brilliant piece of art. So for me, it's four and a half out of five. Wayne. Well, when Sarah Watt was in post-production for Look Both Ways, she had received her cancer diagnosis and it would be the disease that would that she would ultimately succumb to. So I feel like that this is a very personal movie for her and that she's able to tell a personal movie with themes that she's clearly interested in in such an engaging and gripping and realistic way is a testament to not only her as a filmmaker, but as a storyteller and human being. I think that it's difficult to really appreciate Sarah Watts' legacy without really looking at all of her work. But in terms of My Year Without Sex, there's probably a quote here that I think sums up why Sarah Watt and why My Year Without Sex is as good as it is. And so this comes from an article published by The Age on May 23rd, 2009. It's called Getting By Among the Sharks, and it was published just before this film was released. And in it, the film's producer, Bridget Eichen, says, I don't think Sarah could do a conventional narrative. That's not how her brain works. What she can't write is baddies. Her films are all really about good people. There are no antagonists. The antagonists are the world, the shark, imaginary antagonists. She's interested in how people get by. Her interests come across clearly. She absolutely nails it. Again, this is such a wonderful contribution to her amazing legacy. Four stars from me. Nice. Well surmised, Wayne. Thank you. Well, it's all Bridget. <laughs> uh, who's, yes, yeah. well, thanks, thanks to Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. Uh, yeah, for, for pro- helping um, Sarah Watt bring this vision to fruition as a producer. Uh, so we, we all bring recommendations for My Year Without Sex. But we're in lockdown, folks. There's other titles out there. So, Kendall, what have you seen recently that you'd like to recommend us? Another really good film that I saw not too long ago now was a film you can find on Amazon Prime by the name of Late Night. This is starring Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. It was co-written by Mindy Kaling as well. It's an outstanding comedy drama that basically talks a lot about sexism in Hollywood and ageism in Hollywood because Emma Thompson is playing a a late night talk show host, very successful, sort of like a David Letterman-esque type personality who is, you know, on her last legs in terms of her career because, you know, everyone wants the fresh, young, hot, new star who also just happens to be a a man. So there's that issue. And so they're trying to find uh, new ways to keep her relevant, keep her on the air before she can be cancelled. Mindy Kaling gets hired basically as... A diversity higher because she's a woman and she's also a woman of color so she can bring this extra element that this entire writer's room for this late night staff was all white men she can bring in this kind of perspective that's fresh and new and that will resurrect and hopefully save emma thompson's character's career and so that's the basic premise but then it's just on top of that, it's filled with so much charm and warmth. And f- and also, speaking of realism, there's a lot of realistic elements in this as well. And I feel like, I mean, Mindy Kelling is also, um, before she found a lot of fame as a, as, a, as a comedic actress, she was mostly a, a writer and a stand-up comedian. And so this film is kind of her story in a roundabout way as well. So you can feel the authenticity as you're watching it. It's just really, really nice. And again, it's another film that sets up expectations and subverts them quite nicely as well. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, and uh, John Lithgow's also in it. He plays Emma Thompson's husband and the two of them have a, a lovely chemistry together on screen. Very endearing relationship. Yeah, it was a really great film. I would highly recommend. Very, very funny, very smart, very witty. 
and with a lot of heart to it, I would give it ooh, three and a half out of five, I think. Three and a half out of five. Check it out. Philip, what have you been watching lately? Well, I've actually got a bit of a unconventional one to throw at people. That's unlike you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so... A lot of people have been missing out on sports as of late. Now, I'm not one of them, but I have found something that a lot of people have flocked to, to sort of fill that sporting gap. And it's a YouTube series on the channel, Gels Marble Runs. And what it is, it's essentially a channel that is dedicated to racing marbles, as in the little glass things. <laughs> and at first it sounds absolutely boring, like what on earth are you talking about? But every week, and they've just wrapped up on their Marble Olympics for the year, for 2020, and every week they bring out a new competition or race or event and there are different teams different marbles with different teams all the teams have got a a detailed backstory the commentator who speaks over the events he's very well spoken and really brings an actual story to something that should ultimately be very dull it is absolutely fascinating to watch they've just wrapped up the uh Marble League 2020 Olympics. They're moving on to the Marbula One for 2020. (laughs) I would actually highly recommend subscribing to this channel. I have no uh, marble in this race, but (laughs) definitely I've just found it a lot of fun, even for someone like myself who cares not for sports. It's just a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. Four and a half out of five. And Wayne, how about yourself? Yes, mate. So I've recently seen a film on SBS On Demand, and it is Ira Sachs's 2016 drama called Little Men. And it's the story about two 13-year-old boys, Tony and Jake, who are complete opposite in personalities. One is very loud and outspoken and... And creative in his own manner. He has aspirations of being an actor. And the other, Jake, is very shy, quite withdrawn, doesn't really have a lot of friends, doesn't participate in a lot of things, but does have a skill for drawing. And these boys form an unlikely friendship because their parents know one another. And they know one another because Jake's family has just inherited a house. And underneath that is a retail shop which Tony's mother manages. However, once they start looking at the finances, they want to raise the rent on this shop, and Tony's mother is quite reluctant to do so because it doesn't make a lot of money, and therefore tension between the two parties ensues. And the film follows the friendship of Jake and Tony and how they sort of weather that storm of their parents fighting and try to maintain their friendship even though their parents are reluctant for that to continue because they can't really stand one another it's an absolutely stunning movie i highly recommend it it's only 85 minutes but it packs a gorgeous punch and says a lot about the short-term friendships we have as children does not make them any less significant but at the time you think they're forever but not necessarily so for numerous factors. So I'd give Little Men four and a half out of five. Nice. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us on our lockdown special. I hope you all stay safe and healthy. Yes. And keep watching those movies. (laughs) Definitely. Yes. I've been a film hunting. I've been a Kendall Richardson. I've been a Fulia Cantarmaggio. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And you've just experienced Red Watch. Cue music! Dun
burp, burp. Oh, hush up, Philip. <laughs> oh no, the cat's out the bag. <laughs> Blooper reel. Well, today we're reviewing Sarah Watts' existential domestic comedy drama, My Year Without Sex. I'm going to say that again. Oh, it's existential. Existential. <clears throat> Let it out, everyone. Tell me when I can go. <laughs> you, whenever you're ready, my dear. <clears throat> Thank you, beautiful. <clears throat> Sarah Watts' follow-up to her multi-award-winning feature directorial debut, 2005's Look Both Ways, is the second in what was proposed... I really love Sarah Watt. I'm going to start that again. I apologize. It's <laughs> all right. And this this movie has all of the Sarah Watt. So I had a lot of times. So I watched it with my. We connected very strongly with. Um, uh, uh, sorry. Blech. I'm running out of breath as I'm talking. I need to breathe. <laughs> I mean, even that moment where Ruby comes in with that top where, you know, it's off the shoulder and her navel is is exposed. Nicole says... Oh, it's Natalie, sorry. There's that one part when during one of the... the bo- oh, what's his name? What's the boy's name again? Lewis. There was a hint that, um, you know, things actually didn't quite go as well. <sighs> it's little moments like um, the, the husband. Sorry, I'm going to get his name. Where's that? There it is. Ross. Yeah, yeah. I feel, again, that I just, I just, I'll start again. I just found myself absolutely entranced by it and, and just loving the message and and the uh, everything i'm not doing well tonight sorry folks it's okay he's very well spoken and uh, better than me tonight i would actually highly sub ah. it's just a lot of fun highly recommend it and Wayne, how about yourself? Are you, you going to give the show a score? Yes, I was meant to give it a score out of five. Yep, sorry. 